Hello, welcome back to the Exposure Ninja podcast. My name is Jess and I'm joined by the wonderful Tim Cameron Kitchen. How are you today, Tim? I'm very well, thanks, Jess. How are you doing? Good, pretty good, pretty good. Hit with some hay fever, but you know what? We are we're powering through it. We are powering through it. Ain't no pulling going to slow you down. No, not at all. We've got some pretty exciting stuff to talk about today, which I'm very excited about. Um, lots of news. We It's been one of those weeks where we said, I feel like there's not a lot of news happening. Not a lot for us to talk about. And then pretty much the day before, a couple of things dropped, which are pretty exciting. Yes. And we'll be jumping straight in, talking about how some of the big players, Google and Microsoft, have released some AI courses, which I think just shows AI is definitely here to stay. If you're still on the fence about it, don't be, because now they're starting to train the masses to create their own AI stuff, to understand a bit more about how generative AI works, where it's getting its information from. And I don't know if you have any hot takes on this, Tim? Um, No hot takes on the courses. I think certainly AI world doesn't look like it's slowing down. We had big announcements last week from video about some of the AI hardware that they're building with chips and supercomputers, which sort of points were a world where it's going to be faster to train some of these even larger language models. So that would bring about improvement in all of the AI stuff that we've been seeing from the generative search stuff to you know, image generation and things like that. So the AI world definitely isn't slowing down. Um, and I was, yeah, I've, I've been looking at some of the comments and, and some of the, um, some of the hot takes for marketers on Twitter. And there is a subset of marketers that are saying sort of, uh, I, I saw a tweet from someone who's very well respected in the industry saying, Hey, do you know what I'm going to be doing instead of learning about AI? I'm going to be learning how to make better content or I'm going to be learning about how to, you know, do whatever. And, and their point was that I don't really need to learn about this AI stuff. I'm just going to focus on my thing. And I thought, I'm concerned that that mindset is not a good strategy for something that is so big and being backed by these huge technology players that have almost unlimited resources to pour into making it a success. So yeah, I, I um yeah, that that sort of worried me a bit. I think that the the attitude that we've taken inside Exposure and just throw yourself into AI, everyone in the company has to be experimenting with it and playing with it because this is gonna be it's gonna be our sidekick for years, isn't it? Anyway, I've taken us on a massive tangent immediately. <laughs> No, I think this is a good I think this is a good topic to kind of go on a few tangents about because even though these specific AI training courses might not necessarily be for marketers there is a bit of information about what generative AI is and if you are wanting to create your own tools there's a bit of information about that but I think it more just opens up the conversation about how it does seem to be you know, proving that this is here to stay and that they are wanting to get more people involved by offering them courses for mm. free. Um, I, I've seen a similar take to what you saw, Tim, where people were saying that AI is just the same as voice search, um, you know, and I really don't feel the same waves as I think we did with voice search, because I feel like with that, it felt like Google, et cetera, with being like, this is the new thing and we want you to adopt yeah. it. Whereas it feels almost like the reverse here where smaller players were the ones that turned up and said, here's AI. And now the big people have had to go, oh my God, we need to do something about this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very, very interesting to see 
these takes on it and people who do seem to want to just hide and not deal with it. And I mean, if you're a veteran marketer, you've been through some big shakeups and maybe it's getting to the point for some people where they're like, I've had enough. I just don't, I don't want to deal with any more changes, you know? Yeah. Sad times if that's you, because unfortunately you don't really have a choice. You can't really opt out of change, can you? Um, I think the comparison with voice search and what you said there about this has been something that's sort of forced upon Google. That AI is is a disruptor to Google, really, um, or at least the generative AI putting it in the search results is a disruptor to Google. We've been seeing how marketers have been playing with the generative AI, the search generative experience in Google this week. And I think we're, we're starting to see people playing now that you know people have got access to this and they can actually interrogate the answers find out what search queries are bringing up generative ai answers in google we're starting to see some of the limitations we're starting to see people saying actually do you know what hold on this thing maybe there are parts of it that feel a bit pre-releasey this doesn't feel perfect yet people saying you know this this search result that it's giving me in generative AI form isn't really useful because there's no links and we're we're kind of finding the holes and the gaps in the um, in the generative AI answers and that just shows us that this is something Google and Microsoft to an extent are rushing out of the door in response to demand not because they're trying to ram this down the consumer's throat so uh, yeah, yes yeah that's something that I definitely started thinking about with this with these courses it feels like it's been done in the wrong order it feels like the courses should have come first then the technology um but obviously it's been very very different very different i feel like they would have put everything in place for voice search to treat teach people and yet people were like no nah, we yeah. don't we don't really fancy it but talking of brand new technology and exciting things if you're like us and you're a bit nerdy, you probably tuned into the Apple Developer Conference yesterday where they announced their Apple Vision Pro VR AR headset. And we wanted to talk about it a bit because we feel like even though it doesn't have that much impact on marketers right away, it seems sometimes Apple release stuff that's been around for a while, do their own version, and then everybody adopts it. And then everybody starts to tailor their technology. And... I think that that's probably what's going to happen here. I think there's going to be a lot more experiences. I know you're quite a big Apple fan, Tim, just and also a big marketing fan. So combining those two bits of knowledge together, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think it was interesting how they presented it as this is a new type of computing. This is like spatial computing. So, you know, mobile computing was from the iPhone and then this is spatial computing. This is something more immersive. I think the I, I know you've you've used VR headsets before, haven't you? You've got a lot of experience. I've sort of dabbled. I've bought a couple of Oculus things, mm -hmm. which have ended up just staying in the cupboard after initially being impressed. And I think the the key yes. for this is, is if it's going to get mass adoption, it's going to have to become an addictive experience. And that's the big question for me about any new computing platform. So if it isn't a new way of you know people consuming content, then Obviously, it's going to be transformational. Marketers are going to have to figure this out. At the moment, I thought from the presentation they gave yesterday, there wasn't any sort of clear indications of where marketers need to be focusing on. This feels quite early. A lot of the demos that they showed were things like just looking at, you know, static web pages. And yeah, there's some cool stuff about looking at 3D videos and, uh, and 3D images. But I think the, there's still a big question mark about what, um, what AR, VR experience 
that people have with businesses? Like, how do people find a business? Like, what does e-commerce look like in, a, in an AR world? These are all questions that developers are going to have to answer. So I think the fact that they're throwing this technology out so early, it's not even going to be released until I think early next year and then later in the year for the rest of the world outside America. So it's so early, but obviously they're just doing this to get developers thinking about this stuff and building out the future of marketing. It'll be fascinating to see what we're optimizing for in three, five years time. And if this is a big piece of it, I don't know. What, what's your take on the yeah. tech and, and how does it compare to the other stuff in this space that you've seen so far? Yeah, it's really good. Obviously, the price tag is huge, but I feel like there's a lot of elements that make it a bit more accessible to the everyday person. You know, you don't have controllers. You can just do things with your hands, which I think really makes it accessible to like non-gamers as a person who plays a lot of games myself like we are quite quick to adapt mm -hmm. to holding things in our hands and using things in a non-human way um but the things that really interested me about this launch were just some of the ways that they were advancing on things normal things we already do like watching tv they were like hey you know you want to watch star wars on a planet from star wars we can give you that experience and it did definitely get me thinking about the kind of different types of immersive marketing you could do for instance ikea already has this ar app right which is on your phone and you know there's still that kind of you really have to su suspend your disbelief in a big way to imagine that that is definitely in your room and have yes. a proper look at it whereas if you had that same app on this what's it called vision pro yeah, yeah i think that's it vision pro then you could actually really look at the furniture mm. that you've put in your house and look behind it. And yes, you can do that with your phone, but it's not just the not, the same. not the same. Um, and so I definitely think there are going to be some really, really interesting opportunities, as well as like I was thinking about e-commerce. You know, you've got a new product launch. How can you really bring people into that world? You know, like when they're selling perfumes and they do the most wild advert you've ever seen because they're selling a scent, it's the same kind mm. of thing. Like what location can you place people in? And yes, you can do that in VR now, but I feel like it's going to potentially take another jump just because it's Apple who are behind it. Um, they're very good at telling us what we need before we need it and then it becoming the standard. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops. And it's quite nice that we've got a year to kind of just watch and see if there is anything that's relevant to us as marketers or if it's just a cool piece of tech that nerds who also happen to be marketers can get excited about like us. Yeah. Oh, the, so far, the reviews look amazing. I think the challenge with things like this is when it's when it's a, a sort of a new platform, like it was difficult when the iPhone came out, it was difficult to anticipate all the second order consequences that like you could say, all right, there's going to be apps. Yeah. But then you didn't necessarily anticipate where some of those apps would go. You didn't necessarily know that there was going to be, we knew that there were going to be games, but we might not have anticipated the breadth and the type of mobile games that would take off or that, you know, focus on mental health or focus on health and wearables tracking. Like all of these things were sort of micro or not even micro, but industries that were built off the capabilities of a new platform like this. And like you say, with the Ikea example, there's an argument to say, well, actually, what is a better experience? Is it going to an Ikea shop and looking at these things, but having to walk miles to see them? Or is it a Vision Reality Pro where you basically get the in-person experience, but you can swipe through 
you know, millions of products, you can find products much faster and quicker all without leaving your home. And I think it's one of those technologies where if it does take off, the ramifications are potentially massive because the in-store experience is so much about being up close with it, looking at it in detail, turning it over and examining it. And potentially loads of that is replicated. But then there's also, you know, going to festivals. What's the experience of going to festival versus watching it on a TV? Well, it's the immersion. Well, okay, so is that being replicated? And is it actually better if you can watch the festival from the stage rather than, you know, there's all sorts of questions. There's all sorts of downstream disruptions that that could happen um, if this is, uh, yeah, if if, if this is something that is gonna take off. Completely. And I would say just watch Apple carefully because as much as it's easy to say, oh, well, the marketing will just be the same as what we do online, you know, on our websites and PPC, et cetera. I don't think Apple are going to want what we do to be the same because it feels like people, they can't get people to buy this new tech if it's just the same as what they've already got. So I feel like there will be some initiatives to try and encourage all industries to start creating stuff that's very, very specific. Mm. Um, Just by the way, if you're watching this live and you're asking questions on YouTube, um, we will try and answer those at the end if we have time. Um, as you can tell, we tend to get quite intense and talk quite deeply about them. Yeah, some <laughs> the great questions coming through. Keep them coming, though. We get peeps. rather excited. Yes, yes, we will jump on those once we've talked about our third topic, which we were in a meeting earlier and we got quite carried away talking about <laughs> this already, um, which is there's definitely chatter within Exposure Ninja talking about how digital PR we think will become even more important than ever in an AI search world. Um, We're actually releasing a video about it in a couple of weeks. So if you're not subscribed to our main channel, you absolutely should, Exposure Ninja on YouTube. Um, But we definitely feel like obviously SEO is going to evolve and we're already trying to think of ways that we can take advantage of this, not just thinking about SEO directly, but thinking about things like digital PR. What are your thoughts, Tim? Uh, Yeah, I mean... I guess it's probably worth recapping for those who haven't been like fully into that whole AI world, but it looks like we're going to be moving from a time where when you search for something on Google or any search engine, you just got a list of websites to you're going to be searching and the whatever search engine is going to be actually sort of writing a specific answer for you that you can interrogate, you can follow up with. Um, and that is a very different world because a lot of businesses have been built on the assumption that we get people onto our websites for both commercial queries and informational queries, and then we figure out how to monetize them from there. And this is obviously, you know, if this does play out and if people love the generative AI experience and Google looks at that information and decides to roll it out further, um, and people do use Bing and they love the experience of ChatGPT integrated with Bing, then this is a new paradigm for us marketers to, to adapt to. I think w- as soon as Bing Chat came out, we did some early studies to work out how businesses could benefit from it. And we saw basically two avenues. Firstly was when you ask Bing or when you ask ChatGPT or whatever to recommend your product, it recommends you products and it recommends you products through generative AI. So the first opportunity is making, your, making sure your products are being recommended. And the way that you would do that would be getting on websites that it is citing, that it is referencing. The second way of benefiting from this would be in being one of those websites that is being cited. So when it's 
pulling together an answer and it's looking for citations or websites that corroborate, which is what Google's version of that is, making sure that you are one of those websites. So I think there's really those two opportunities for businesses to take advantage of this rather than being disrupted by it. And digital PR is actually an avenue to help both of those, right? Digital PR is a way to to, to make sure both of those things are happening for you. So I agree. I think digital PR is it's been popular. It's been a, you know, we've been doing digital PR since maybe 2014, 2015, uh, mid 2014, I think is when we started it. Um, but it looks like it's due a renaissance because this seems to be big. Uh, yeah, very important. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely see the potential for like, um, I feel like the old, I said this earlier, it feels like the old and the new are coming back together. Like you've got this traditional kind of, word of mouth thing where you're creating digital PR that's very shareable Mm. that gets people talking rather than it just being some basic stats or you know something that doesn't really reach further than the one publication it's published in let's say um but then there's also this this side of it that's like okay how can we use this digital PR to then get featured in this search generative experience when Google's publishing these answers at the top because they might not necessarily if you ask I don't know um what's the best microphone that's a really terrible example um how to get the perfectly green garden let's say Mm. they're just going to give you an answer the generative AI is just going to give an answer that isn't really directing to anyone doesn't really necessarily mean that you need to go on a website whereas if you can do some digital PR get some amazing stats get some really amazing data, then the generative AI is more likely to say, as Exposure Ninja Gardening says, this, this, this. So there's definitely some really exciting opportunities there. Not potentially an opportunity for us to start a gardening company at Exposure Ninja, but, you know, there's definitely some really great things for established businesses to do when it comes to answering these questions and making sure that the answers to those questions need to include a brand name yeah. or kind of tying yourself so closely to this industry that the AI can't help but reference you. And I think that is a huge, huge aspect of this. That's a, it's a very good point. And I think one of the things that we've noticed previously is that businesses can sort of pick up accidental links um if they publish some sort of data or they publish some study which backs up a trending topic i remember years ago we did uh, an article for someone about loot boxes in games and whether the, they should be regulated and we we did a survey um which asked people whether they thought loot boxes should be treated as, as gambling or whatever and the overwhelming response was that yes they should be and we published this survey on a you know the, the client was a relatively small player but then every time there's a, you know, every time there's a bit more coverage about loot boxes, journalists need a source. They need something to go back to, and you know, they they need to find a sort of a quantified opinion um, on this topic. And that article gets referenced, even though there's no one doing any outreach on it anymore. It's like an old dead thing, but it's one of the few sources of statistical truth about a topic. So I think exactly what you're saying, if you're if you identify a generative AI answer that you could do well uh, getting featured in, and then you go and find the data or you you be the source of, of truth for the generative AI, then you're much more likely to get referenced or be featured as one of the uh, the corroborative sources. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Dale shared a link to the case study on the loot boxes campaign if you're interested in learning more about that. Um, I also think in terms of the word of mouth element, it's really important. It will be really important and already is to get featured in the publications that your target audience are actually reading because then they're hearing your brand name in the places that they're already spending time without needing to kind of manipulate the AI to mention you. Um, so they're already going to trusted sources who also have included you showing that you have some credibility, at least we hope so. And so I think that's another way that you're going to kind of be able to spread that that word of mouth um, that word of mouth stuff. We won't talk too much about the strategies here because else it'll be major spoilers for the fantastic video we have coming <laughs> up. But I definitely think, um, yeah, it's digital PR is going to take a real front seat and it's really exciting. I think people are going to get a lot more creative and this video will be especially helpful for any digital PR folks or marketing managers who have been trying to push more digital PR in their marketing campaigns and haven't been able to get buy-in or budget. We hope that's what we'd like. Um, all of you. Yes. Um, before we move on, Annabelle, uh, who's a digital PR monster ninja here at Exposure Ninja, uh, she's made a great point. AI is actually a great opportunity for businesses to get featured in articles in high profile publications, as journalists must get experts to check any information they get from AI. Bang on, Annabelle. Absolutely. So, of course, Absolutely. two ways to do, well, there's probably multiple ways to do this, but um, making sure that you have good visibility on whether it's Twitter, where people are using hashtag general request, hashtag PR request, or making sure that if a journalist is going to be searching for, you know, expert on whatever topic that you're showing up on Google. Um, underneath the generative AI answers because there are going to be times where journalists do need to yeah. fact check uh, and they're not going to be fact checking with generative AI. They're going to need someone to put their name on those statements. So yeah, great shout there. Yes, yes, 100%. I think we have some time for questions today, which is quite nice because normally we get so carried away and end up talking about loads of stuff. Um, and yeah, we had a really great question from Paul Monday. This is over on our YouTube um, where we are recording this live saying, do you think Bing will see an uplift when Google releases the AI search layout? Some users might be scared by AI and potentially won't like that Google is using AI immediately. Whereas Bing, it's kind of more, feels a bit more opt-in. You have to go into a separate tab. Mm. So what do you think, Tim? I think there's a bigger question here, which is will people like Google's generative AI answers? Um, because if the answer is no, then there are all sorts of implications for that, including people going to Bing. Google knows so much about user behavior. I don't think we'll get to that stage. I don't think that Google will push live a, a product that people don't like or are scared by. If you think about where we're at with Google's generative AI answers at the moment, we're in a lab stage. So I don't think we're even at public beta yet. Um, we're at a lab stage where early adopters have to sign up for this. They have to sign up through a VPN to appear like they're in the US. Like This is not a widespread thing. And I think a lot of the feedback that we're seeing from those in the search community who are playing with this is that actually these generative AI answers aren't always good yet. Um, and Google will be listening to that feedback. I think we, we talked previously about it's very likely that Google's going to be directing their search quality raters at the generative AI answers, and they have an established method of working out whether search results are better or worse. They have clear criteria for this stuff. So I'm pretty confident that Google will not launch a product that people do not like. 
uh, they have too much at stake and they already have established processes to, you know, to work out whether people do or don't like them. So I think in that sense, it's, uh, it's not a moot question because I think there is some, some value in, in asking it, but I, I don't think it'll get to that point is my point really. I, I, I do agree though yeah. that people will be scared by AI answers. And I think if they rolled it out in its current stage, a lot of people will be saying, forget this. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very interested to see how many people feel the need to double check um, the AI answers from Google and how many people will maybe get a wrong answer, feel scorned, and then never use it again and scroll down to use the link. So I think, yeah, Google's going to have to do like a lot of testing and making sure that people are really happy with this before they end up rolling out to everyone. And I think that's why, you know, they're getting the the super fans in now yeah. to join the waitlist and try it out. Um, but I expect as well, you know, they have the budget to test it with, you know, the average Joe um, to see how they respond to it and with a bunch of user demographics. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it's going to evolve and the changes they make and the steps they take to actually um, make it safer. But I still kind of doubt people will go to Bing. <laughs> no, I, there was some, you know, before Google rolled out the Gen AI stuff, there was some measurements about you know is google actually losing market share to bing i don't know about you jess but i had access to bing chat since almost as soon as it was in beta and found myself yeah. very rarely using it um yeah yeah i was really excited when it first launched you know i downloaded microsoft edge and i was using bing and it lasted for like one day after the hype was kind of gone i was a bit like yeah it's just easier right now to just search i didn't you know there's aspects of the chat that i just didn't like i didn't like that it took me away from search results and i feel like google's very aware of that google's already showing that they've really got the consumer in in yeah. mind first um with their decisions so i think yeah i think we will be fine um, there was another discussion happening in the chat. Um, there isn't really a direct question, but I feel like I've been able to kind of summarize it in a way in terms of how dangerous could AI be to a company if people are too reliant on it in their marketing? I think we kind of touched on this in our recent video over on our main channel in regards to AI can produce things that look really impressive, but are actually based on nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, totally. Lydia, who is a comms manager for an AI company, says, always check the answers. AI is known for hallucinating its program to always answer regardless of the fact. And it's very yeah. easy to forget that, isn't it? It will give you an answer to whatever question you ask it. If you, there was some um, testing I did this week where you, you give it a math problem and you say, um, you know, I think the answer is this, explain why I'm correct, and it will explain why you're correct, even if it's incorrect. I think there are some, you know, multi-level AI uh, strategies or, or, or tactics that you can use to, to prevent that type of thing. So, um, you know, using different agents to, to run calculations or using, in that case, using code interpreter to build, uh, to build you out a better answer. So I think there are ways around some of the hallucinations, but that is a you know that's a fundamental problem of of large language models isn't it and i'm not sure how easy it's going to be to to get around that even using the web browser to fact check as uh, as greg brockman the president of OpenAI, demonstrated in his ted talk it, it doesn't work all the time um so for the time being that's no. that's like an unresolved issue uh yeah so i, I don't really know yeah what else to add on that <laughs> yeah i suppose one thing i would add is from like i said from my recent video 
I had an experience where I'd been given a prompt that was to generate a buyer persona. And the results that came through in my naivety, I was like, wow, these are amazing. Like, this is an amazing buyer persona. It's done all this research for me based on current trends and all this. And then I wrote in the scripts and I showed it to Tim and Tim was like, what a load of rubbish. Where has it got that information from? It's based on nothing. It's made up rubbish. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I feel like I'm like somewhat of an experienced marketer. So I think, you know, if somebody's starting a new business and, or even an established yeah. business goes, Oh, we don't really need as much of a marketing department anymore. Let's just scale this back. <laughs> Let's just do all our buyer personas on chat GPT. I think they're going to get very badly burned. Um, based on sort of, you know, the feedback that I had from Tim, um, you know, it's kind of the thing you hope your competitors are doing. <laughs> they're making decisions based on on nothing, essentially, not based on their own customers, not based on their own research, just based on what the AI has said. Yeah. So, well, yeah. The, the, it, as soon as ChatGPT came out, you got all the Twitter threads, didn't you? Like, our oh, agencies are dead because someone's just put in, like, write me a marketing plan for a solicitor's firm or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, as an experienced marketer, you look at that marketing plan, you're like, wow, that is totally generic and utter garbage <laughs> and you know the cost of actually getting a proper marketing plan and implementing that is going to be much lower than the cost of implementing a sort of generic marketing plan that ChatGPT has given you realizing it's failed and then sort of going back and fixing it all so i think for a lot of we give large language models too much credit in some areas and it's very difficult yeah. to remember that they're only good at a very specific subset of tasks and they're very convincing bullshitters in everything else. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I think that wraps us up very nicely and brings us to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast today, don't forget to like and subscribe. And also if you're tuning in right at the end, you can catch this on the catch up or you can head over to your favorite podcast platform and search for Exposure Ninja High Performance Digital Marketing Podcast. You can probably just search for Exposure Ninja and we'll come up because we've only got one podcast. Um, and of course, if you haven't already, head to ExposureNinja.com slash review to request your free website and marketing review. We'll send you a 15 minute review of your website marketing, as it says on the tin, um, which is by people, not by an AI or by a tool. So it's very hands-on, very in-depth, and very, very fantastic. Indeed. <laughs> That's my description of the review. <laughs> I don't think you got ChatGPT to write that for you, did you? I didn't, no. I did that all myself, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> and on that note, with my excellent review review um, pitch, we'll see you next week. See you later, everyone. Bye.